Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Yeah, I got to tell you, this is a rocking it show. And actually, it's a rocking at two hours coming up. You know, every once in a while, what happens is you get to have a reflection on your life through the eyes of other people. Uh, and uh, when I think about James Papero joining me here today, when I think about James and his story and what he's created and the book and the movie and the message, most importantly, the message about perception, seeing is not believing. I've thought about this and what it means to evolve with that understanding. And he and I were just chit-chatting a moment before we came on. And what I realized is that after reading the book and watching the movie, um, we're gonna talk about all of that, that there's something in each of us, right? That is so powerful, yet so understated if we let it be understated, that it becomes the showstopper in our life. I, I don't mean like a little showstopper. So let me tell you what I'm talking about. Like this is the layers of crust we talked about in 2003 with crust busting. This is the thing that will say to us, you are going to never ever be anything than more than what anybody ever said you were going to be. And then you live your life and guess what shows up? That's what you become. You become that person that barely graduates high school, if you even do, gets arrested, has a family of, of folks that you hang out with, everybody's an addict, they're selling it, they're using it. Your mom commits suicide. And then ultimately you think, maybe that's for me too. Well, that's not exactly James's story. That's not exactly the story we're going to tell today. But what happens when you're that kid and you find yourself one day with these iron bars that you're looking through? Is that your moment of epiphany? Is that your bottom? Or is it more than that? You know, today, I'm so thrilled to introduce you to someone who has taken a perspective on life through the lens of perception. Perception is one of these things that we joke about, we kid about, we have funny little sayings that have to do with perception, right? You know, show me I'm from Missouri or something like that. But when it comes to understanding life, there has never been a more exact outline, invitation, proposition, and transformative blueprint than what James has created in perception, seeing is not believing. And today, you're going to find out why. Because if you find yourself locked up in jail, 
are homeless on the street and you don't think you can make it, get ready to hear how that could change. James, it's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Boy, that guy sounds cool. Can't wait to meet who, him. Who is he? Is he coming in next? <laughs> <laughs> I got, hey, I got to tell Linda, we got to get that guy signed up. Yeah, we got to, I want to interview that guy. He sounds dreamy. But anyway, uh, let's just talk so about, yeah, look, thank you. Uh, look, people ask me, and I'm going to ask you the same question. People say to me, even today, what the heck are you doing? Why are you out there taking this message out there? Why are you doing what you're doing, Pat? You could be like retiring somewhere. <sighs> That's the way they see my life. It's not the way I see it. I want to ask you this. I've been asking a question for 16 years, and it's this one. If I had to ask you, James, what are some of the challenges? What are some of the obstacles? that you have overcome, and there are many in this book. What are some of them that brought you to this very moment? I mean, you know, I kind of like think I did all the things when it came to obstacles, right? I've, I've made all the mistakes. You know, for me, it's really understanding that, that there, I mean, look, I've been to jail, I've been homeless, I've been a drug addict, I was in solitary confinement, you know, I was massively abused as a child. I was massively bullied as a teenager. You know, I this led to, you know, this this place. Um, but that's not the end of the story. Right. And so, you know, I think it's so easy to talk about our trauma and all the things that we've experienced. But, you know, if that's the end of the story, if there's no but at the end, then 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 you're not living the fullness of life. Right. It's we all have challenges. The question is, you know, do those challenges define who we are? And that was actually the very question I asked myself in jail because I want you to think about it. I'm sitting in solitary confinement, right? And I used to write these really long lists of people I'd felt like had harmed me. And one day, because I was trying to offer them forgiveness and, you know, pray and do things like that. And one day I was looking at this list and here's the epiphany I had. The epiphany was the only common denominator between all these situations is me. What if I'm somehow the creator of these experiences? And I'd never really considered the fact that I might be the creator of my experiences. So this kind of hit me like, wow, like that's interesting. And so I thought about what that meant for a minute, you know, and I thought, well, I couldn't have created some of the experience and not others. I either created all of it or none of it. And as I tossed those two questions around, I thought, well, if, if I created none of the experiences, that meant the world really was a terrible place and I probably didn't want to live anymore because I had a pretty terrible life to that point. But if I did create those experiences, it meant I had to take responsibility for everything that happened to me. But it also meant that if I could figure out how I created those experiences, that I could create the life that I desired in its place. And so that's where my journey started with a question you know how did i i chose on that day to, that i was the creator of my experiences and i was going to figure out how i did that and that's where i started was you know what does it take to create these experiences how did i create all this bad stuff for myself you know 
I got to ask you this question too, because, you know, we're going to talk about not only the book, but there's so much that you all have created, right? Um, I am one of these people that I think about this and I joke about this a lot. I think you're going to relate to this. Uh, I joke about this. I had one of those high school reunion things, right? Like way back in the day that I graduated high school. So they had like the big high school reunion thing. And so the organizer finds me because my name is out there, but as Dr. Pat, not as Dr. Pat Basili, not as Basili, my last name. Nobody can say it. Nobody can spell it. And by the way, I lived in a childhood being teased about that name, right? right? So here we are and they find me and they say, are you Patricia Basili from Plainfield High School? And I said, yeah, that's me. And the woman that's organizing, and I want you to comment on this and, and, and relate to it, because this is in your book as well and in the movie. So the woman says, are you alive? Really alive? And I said, yeah, you're like talking to me now. I I'm alive. She said, we thought you were arrested, sent to jail, and dead, that you were homeless and you got killed. And and the woman said to me very calmly and peacefully, she said to me, how did you save yourself? And I have been thinking about that question and up until reading your book. How did you save yourself? And, and I find that interesting. So I'm going to ask you that question. How did you save yourself? How did you save yourself, James? Well, you know, so here's what I decided on that day. So I started thinking about that idea, right? Um, I decided that I was the creator of my experience. So I had to ask myself a couple of questions, right? The first question was, did, did my trauma in my childhood define my life? You know, is that what created my life? And, and if the answer to that question was yes, then I'm stuck forever because I can't go back and change the trauma, right? Nope. No, and no. So I was like, well, well, let me see. Has everybody who's ever experienced trauma allowed it to destroy them? And the answer to that question is no. So it couldn't have been the trauma created by life. And so I thought, well, what was it? And here's what I came to. And this is how I saved myself of the understanding of that it was what I chose to believe about myself having lived through the trauma that created everything that happened after that. And so when I talk about ownership, when I talk about responsibility, when I talk about fault, here's where people get messed up is people are like, you know, hey, I've had bad things happen to me. And it's true. Bad things happen to good people. But that's not what defines your experience. Right. We all have bad things that happen to us. And when you take ownership, you never take ownership for the other person's part in it. That's their responsibility. You only take ownership in what you chose to believe about yourself having lived through that abuse. And so the abusive situation I was in was I was in kindergarten and I had some pretty severe learning disabilities. My teacher would call me stupid every day and she'd make the whole class call me stupid every day for my kindergarten year. And so I chose to believe that I was smart. I mean, stupid. I chose to believe that I was not good enough. I chose to believe that I wasn't, you know, that I just wasn't, a, you know, good enough and a good person. And so oftentimes when I tell that story, they go, oh, no, don't do that. You were only five years old. 
you, and I'm like, stop taking my power away. Like, really, like, stop taking my power away. Because if you take away that it wasn't my choice, then I have no power. And so even though I was five years old, I made, I made the best decision I could with the information that was available to me, it was still my choice. The cool thing is, is that I can always go back and choose to believe something different. And that's how I saved my life is that I started shifting and changing the beliefs that I had about myself and the world around me based on my past experiences. And so the underlying theory around perception is what you feel and believe on the inside is projected on the outside. That's what we're interacting with. So your life is literally a reflection of what's going on inside of you. And so I saved my life by changing my interpretation of who I was, what I was capable of, and what the world was. I telling you, I got to tell you, we probably are twins from another mother or something. Because I think about this, and I was reading this, it's interesting. When I tell people, James, that I used to stutter as a kid, they look at me like that's impossible. And, you know, so there's a story that you just shared. And I want to take a break. And when we come back, actually, I'm going to skip the break. I want to talk about what you just said, but in the context of the modern day hero's journey that you put in the book. Because when I looked at this, I thought to myself, uh, what if, and I know this has got to be part of your message, what if people could learn this? See, when I tell my story just the way you did about my childhood being in Catholic boarding school at a very young age, uh, claiming that I heard God tell, tell me that my mother was with him and find out that she was, going through being beaten every night, literally naked beaten every night in that institution. And then I tell a different story. I get accused of not taking the pain of my childhood seriously. Now, has anybody ever tried to say that to you? Well, I think, yes, in the sense of people want, so here's the question that defines what you're saying. Is life fair? And let me put everybody off the hook. Life is in fact not fair. It's not fair, right? You're a woman, so therefore you get treated differently in wage gaps and racial, discrimination and sexual discrimination, all of these things exist. But that's not the question. The real question is, does believing that life is not fair serve you? Yeah. And the answer is that it doesn't. There is no prize for being the biggest victim, for having the most traumatic story. You know, it's interesting because when we wrote this book, we filmed this movie. Before the movie came out, I had to sit down my teenage kids and tell them all the stories. I had to tell them I was in jail. Yeah, I had to yeah. Tell them that I was a drug addict. Yeah. Because I disconnected from that story so much, like you did. It's like nobody had any idea. I mean, like my neighbors and people who hear it now, they're like, they just see me as this really successful businessman who was, they all assume I came from money, right? Right. I never talked about those things. And so, you know, the question is, is that what is the past there for? And the past is there to dictate, you know, what am I going to learn from this? And what I learned from it is identifying myself with my victim 
damn near cost me my life. And disconnecting from it saved my life. And so the only reason I'm telling the story today is to help save other people's lives. Exactly. And, you know, you said it so beautifully, but more importantly, you shared this in the book and the movie in a way that the everyday person will get it. And, you know, the reason I want to acknowledge you for that is because there have been so many times before where people have been out there with the goal of selling you something to improve your self-esteem or to improve your self-confidence. But one of the things I love about your journey and what you provide, there are three things that are so important. I mean, there's so much more I could talk with you about, but there are three. One, I love the way you depict this modern day hero, right? I love that. Number two, I love that when you get to talk about these three components, and I love the Venn diagram in the book, my gosh, I just love, you're telling it from the perspective of you can learn something, you too can change, you too can choose to have a different story. I want to ask you this question. I do this show and I buy hundreds of thousands of dollars of of airtime because I wanted to help people live life full out. When I had my epiphany, I just didn't, I didn't know what else to do. My big fat corporate job wasn't cutting it anymore. But I want to ask you, what is your greatest, greatest vision for people who read the book, who watch the movie? What is your greatest passionate vision for people? So, so let me, I'm going to back up a little bit. So just to, to align my story with your story. So, you know, a couple of years ago, my wife and I sold our worldwide technology company for millions and millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars. Right. And so it was like, what are we going to do now? Right. And as a part of our climb out of the gutter to the top, we developed these theories about perception and emotions. And so the question was, do we want to retire? And the next question was, is, is this the world that I want my children and grandchildren to grow up? And the answer was no. And I felt like if I had the means, then I have the responsibility. And so I have to articulate the problem that I think we currently face in this personal development world, right? Yeah. You know, there's a couple of inherent problems. The first one is, is they don't give you information. They tell you what to do. So it's like, oh, you want to be rich or famous? Follow me. I have all the answers. First of all, if somebody tells you they have all the answers, run in the other direction, right? <laughs> they don't, right? The answers are inside of you. And so it's like, well, how do I find those answers? That's the problem number one. And so the other problem in my, my estimation is that we have, we have this inherent problem. We have the spiritual community and we have the creative, you know, money community. So it's like, well, what do we have? We have rich people that are miserable, right? Who choose the path of, you know, of, you know, wealth and creativity or whatever. And then we have spiritual people who are happy and have a sense of well-being, but they're broken sick, right? And the question is, why can't we have both? And we can have both, right? And we can actually get those things at the same time. And so we've been made to choose. Do I want to be happy or do I want things? That shouldn't be a choice. And so the inherent problem that I was having, it's like, 
hey, you want the life of your dreams? Follow me. And so I'm all about understanding the underlying principles. And what it comes down to is the idea that what I hope to accomplish is to give people the information they need to change and sustain change in their lives to create whatever success is for them, period. If it's relationships, great. If it's money, great. If it's whatever it is, that's what they need to create. But it's not based Mm -hmm. on them being dependent on me or anybody else to do that. It's an information problem right? I want to give people the information they need to take control and change their lives in whatever way they see fit, not tell them what to do, to understand the process underneath so that they can be a conscious creator of their existence. Absolutely. And you know, here's what's interesting. Do you know they take side bets on my show? My list, I have the best listening audience in the planet. 16 years, they voted us number one, like 13 years in a row, but they know me so well. So they take bets. And here's what the bets they take. The bet they take is, I bet for sure she probably will mispronounce somebody's name this week, maybe one of the guests, maybe two, because they know me so well. They know that like you, I grew up as, what's the term now, James? Learning different. So I don't see words. My disability is I don't see words. And so I'm sure I mispronounced your name. How do you pronounce your last name? Did Did I do it? She won the bet. I won the bet. You did it. But here's where we are. If we sort of buy in to the consciousness that will have us believe that different is less than, right? That will take us down a pathway of, a, of perception, right? That little seed, just that little seed, just one, that's one seed, could take us down a pathway that unless we're fortunate enough to find a way to s- step up and say, I'm going to change that. That's not me. That's not what I believe. We then end up with the world of people that feel less than. So what does that mean, James? And you said it before, and I want to get back to it. It means we're medicating, we're we're eating, we're doing something to numb something inside of us. And I know you're here and I know I'm here to help people find a way up. And I want to ask you this question. Because the greatest impact I had was learning from another great woman about humility. And the quote that she would use for me was, humility is not thinking less of yourself, Pat. It's thinking of yourself less. And I know somebody said that, but I'm not sure who. What role has humility played in your ability to transform or see your life through a different lens? Well, let me give you an interesting narrative around this. Did you know that I'm the most important person in the world? I think I did know that. Okay. (laughs) No. (laughs) And so when I say that, the only answer to that would be, oh my God, James, that's amazing. I am also the most important person in the world. Right? Because when I say that to people, they're like, that's arrogant. 
No, it's a recognition oh. of my uniqueness. Yeah. And so if I want to tell my kids that they are amazing, that they are, you know, these amazing creators, beautiful people, and I don't believe that about myself, they're never going to believe it about them. So if I say to myself, hey, did you know I was the most important person in the world? And by the way, did you know that you're the most important person in the world? Which is a recognition of our unity, right? And, yeah. and you said a lot there, but it's like, why are we so afraid? Why are we trying to live up to the expectations of others? Why are we seeking validation? Why do we think that we are all these things? And so for me, humility is only ever recognizing that you and me and everybody listening to the sound of my voice has the same inherent worth, right? Some of us choose to recognize that more. You know, it's, I've got this narrative I run. It's like, you know, do you know that you never made a bad decision? Right. And, you know, you read it in the book and it's like, yeah, well, you know, I tell people that and they're like, well, no, I made a lot of bad decisions. I'm like, no, not only have you never made a bad decision, you're not even capable of making a bad decision. <laughs> you know, and they, and they laugh and I said, well, well, what's the truth? And I'm like, the truth is you've only ever made decisions with bad information. Right. And they're like, well, that's phonetics. No, it's not phonetics. And here's why it's important is because we all make decisions the same way. Right. Is that. We look at all the available information and we make the best decision we can with the information that's available to us, even if it doesn't turn out the way we want it to. And the reason that's important is because it means there's nothing wrong with you. A bad decision would be making a decision that you know at the time you're making it is not in your best interest. And so there's nothing wrong with you. If I have something that you don't, it's because I made a decision with better information. And so it's no secret that good decisions lead to good you know, good information leads to good decisions, leads to good outcomes. And, you know, faulty information leads to faulty decisions, leads to faulty outcomes. And so here's what I'm going to tell you. This problem is not you. You have all the capabilities that I have. If I have a better life, it's because I had better information. So life comes down to an information problem. It's not a you problem. So stop beating yourself up because you're putting the problem where it's not. It's an information problem. And that's why we study perception and emotions, because that's the source of our information. Upgrade this, your information, upgrade your life. And so to me, humility is the recognition that we are all unique. And what is what makes us unique? It's our perception, right? Nobody has lived your life. Nobody has lived my exact life, which gives me a unique perception of the world and gifts that I have to give and share with others. If I choose to recognize that, just like you're doing it right now, you're choosing to recognize that your life is unique. That's what makes you unique. And you're sharing that uniqueness with others. And they're seeing the commonality between your story, my story, their story. And they're saying, okay, well, these two people pick themselves out of the gutter. Maybe I can as well. And maybe they're not in the gutter. Maybe they're sitting in their living room and the relationship's not fulfilling or they don't have the money that they want. It's that, look, you know, there are people listening to the sound of my voice just by the statistics of it that are considering committing suicide right now. And what you need to understand is that you're not the problem, that you are unique, that we need you because only you has lived your life. But at the end of the story for you is going to be your trauma, is going to be your false limiting beliefs, is going to be the things that you experience. It's going to be a victim mentality. Then 
then you're never going to be able to share those gifts with the world. And so it's recognizing that we all have the same inherent worth. Some of us choose to recognize it more. I want to talk with you about three things when we come back. But first, let me say this. When I read your book and then watched a movie, I thought to myself, you know, this idea had to come to you a number of years ago, but the timing, the timing for the delivery of you bringing your message forward, and I'm about to do the same with mine. You know, the one question I get asked by people like Gail Tor and a whole bunch of other people is, Pat, when are you going to fit? When are you going to write your book? When are you going to dot, dot, dot? When are you going to take yourself back out there? When are you, when are you, when are you, right? And as if what I'm doing is not fulfilling, but I understand the why question now, James, after, especially after reading your book. There's a message that we must bring because there's a silent sense right now of people across the board, across the earth, across the world that are not feeling great about themselves. Maybe on the outside, they're looking pretty dang good. Maybe you got the car. Maybe you got the house. Maybe you got like the little Shih Tzu dog and something other, something else going on there. Maybe you've got the best wife or husband or partner or spouse in the world. And you're filled with contradictions. When we come back, I so love this part of the book. When we come back, James is going to take us on a journey. And I call it the journey of contra-contradictions. But the way that they explain it in the book is not just about an academic conversation, but it's a call to action. James, how do people get a copy of the book? How do they find out about how to get engaged with you? And let's tell them all of the above. So if you come to our website right now, which is powerful-theletteru.com, you can buy the book there. You can buy the movie there. You can take our assessment there. Right now, we're actually streaming the movie for free for the entire month. Yeah. We have a content universe. And so you can come to powerful-letteru.com. You can buy the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, anywhere you want, wherever you buy your books. And the audiobook should be coming out in the next couple of weeks as well. I love it. Um, when we come back, what happened on the day that I decided to tell the world that I came down with the mystery disease six months after doing the show. And somebody said to me, don't you feel like a contradiction? I had to look the word up. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Living a richly abundant life. Sound too good to be true. Listen in to richly abundant women with Julie Steelman on transformationtalkradio.com. Embrace a vibrant future of breaking free financially and creating a richly abundant life filled with prosperity and growth. To learn more about Julie Steelman and richly abundant women, visit www.juliesteelman.com. Hey, how's it going? If it's stressful or just plain exhausting, New Light Living is here to ask, is this the way you want to live? Join me, your intuitive spiritual life coach and host, Arika Sullivan, every week on New Light Living. Discover the power of creative tools to start living every day as your ideal dream day. See your life in the new light. 
To learn more, visit newlightliving.com. A word of caution. If you prefer the status quo and you are not interested in improving every aspect of your life, this book will trigger the shift out of you. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens is available now. Author Colette Steffen brings the powerful knowledge and life-changing energy and empowerment from the radio airwaves to the pages of her new book. To get your copy in paperback or ebook, visit thetruthisfunny.com today. Have you lost a loved one and would desperately love a sign to prove that they are okay? Here's a tip for you. Be curious. Keep an open mind about everything. The proof will come from the most unlikely places. The messages promise to challenge your current beliefs and what you've been taught. Accept and appreciate all, no matter where they come from. I'm Angie Corbett Kuiper. I would love for you to share your signs from beyond on my closed Facebook page, Beyond Grief. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Certainly you're listening to us on TransformationTalkRadio.com, but also over at Facebook, you're actually seeing the interview. Um, And, you know, one of the things I love about this is that I have the best time interviewing people that have taken a walk in life and have such a unique commitment to engaging others to take that unique walk as well, to perhaps see your world in a different way. But what if seeing is not believing? What if that was truly what James is here to talk about in the book Perception and, of course, in the film? James, before we get into contradictions and these concepts uh, that you have about change, one more time, how do they get information about how do they buy the book? How can they sign up for the app, the movie, all of the above? So our company is called Powerful Dash, the letter U. And that's powerful-letteru.com. If you go to a device on your smartphone or any of your Apple TVs or Roku TVs, you can get our app, which is power. Just type in Powerful You, and it's called the Powerful Universe. It's an app where you can watch our movie for free right now for the month. And you can also watch and engage with a lot of really compelling content and teachers. And by the way, you'll be able to see if you go ahead and do this like I've done, you'll be able to really tap in to something that I believe is powerful, and that is information, information that will help you change. Um, 
I, I was just sharing a little bit about the comment that somebody made to me about looking at me and saying, you're such a contradiction. And I looked at that back when it was said to me and I was like, I don't even understand what that means. I don't even understand what that means. But I've since looked at that in a different way. The thing I wanted to though talk with you about is beyond sharing a story, beyond helping people understand this, the end game, I believe, for me at least, was what am I going to do with this information? Is this right. going to help me take responsibility and, like David Bowie says, cha 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 change? Right. You know, contradictions is such an interesting topic because you know I've got a, we've got an entire book in there. It's that change equals or chapter change equals eliminating contradictions, and so. Um, what I would tell people is that we're all contradictory, right? We all constantly contradict ourselves. And the reason that is, is because what you need to understand is that, you know, our minds have one function they're constantly doing. That is restoring certainty, right? Because in our evolution, being uncertain meant being dead. And so our minds are always trying to restore certainty. Now, when you, what is uncertainty? Uncertainty is when you walk into a question or a problem and you don't know the answer and you have this feeling of what's going on. I'm not certain about what's going to happen next or what the answer is or what the problem is. Now you have two choices in that moment. You can either stand in the uncertainty long enough to solve the problem, or you can, in fact, lie to yourself. And that's what cognitive dissonance is, is that we all believe contradictory information. One area of our lives, we have this information. The other area of our lives, we have this information. But the reason we do that is to restore certainty. And, you know, another thing with contradictions that's really interesting is I tell people this all the time. It's like, look, either do the work to achieve the things you want or change your goals, right? There's no shame in it. But when you live in contradiction to the actions that you know that you need to do in order to create the things that you want, you're creating worry and suffering and, and you're wasting your mental capacity and so you know when i say that change comes about alleviating contradictions we all have contradictions so often i tell people i'm like well you have to understand that you're wrong and they say well what am i wrong about just about everything as it turns out and they're like wait you're saying i'm wrong about everything and i'm like that's the most exciting thing i could say to you because life is about was never about asking finding answers it was only ever about asking the right questions right the, you can only ask a question when you don't know the answer if you know everything then your life is as good as it's ever going to get because right you're not looking for the answers to the questions you're not asking and so for me that's about questioning everything I believed that I was stupid. I believed that I was not good enough. And we all have these fears. You talked about it a little bit earlier. It's like, why is everybody sad? Why is everybody addicted? Why is everybody depressed? And it's because of fear, right? And so we talk in the book and I, I ask people all the time, like, do you know what your biggest fear is, right? And they're like, uh, I don't know, right? But it turns out we all have the biggest fear, the same biggest fear. Now we could do an experiment. Do you want to do an experiment? Yeah. Okay. I love experiments. All right. We're going to do an experiment on the phone and that's going to teach people what their biggest fear is. So I would let, welcome all of your listeners to go along with us. So as I ask you these questions, I'm asking everybody these questions. 
let me ask you a question. Do you know something that makes you mad? Okay. Yes. Could you bring up that anger right now? Yes. Okay. So close your eyes and bring up that anger. You got it? I got it. So where in your body is that anger showing up? Like in my throat. Okay. It's a great place for it to show up. Now, here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to feel into the pain in your throat. This is a feeling thing, not a thinking thing. And there's actually an early childhood memory attached to that pain. Let me know when you have it. Yeah, I got it. Okay, so open your eyes. So everybody else who's listening to us do the same thing that we just did. So can I ask you what made you mad to begin with? What was the thing that made you mad? How silenced um, I, I feel and I believe others feel um, under this administration. Okay, so politics. It's a good thing, right? Yeah. Make yeah. People mad. A lot of people get mad about it. So let me ask you another question. The early childhood memory, are you comfortable with sharing that in front of your audience? Oh, there's no question about it. And, you know, my early childhood memory that really felt the same was when I was in Catholic boarding school. So first of all, I was put in Catholic boarding school because my mom was sick. But I now know my mom was an alcoholic and she was prescribed prescription drugs to keep her quiet, right? Right. So the idea always was, you know, my nickname, by the way, as a kid was Pat the Brat. Right. Love that name. But I was silenced a lot because mommy's sick. Don't be active. So then they shipped me off to Catholic boarding school. What do you think Dominican nuns do most of the time? They don't talk. Right. So every night when we all went to bed and I was on my bunk, what I would do every night, I would jump up and down on the bed and just laugh and total it. And I knew after the first night I was going to get beat for it. And every night I kept doing it. And so, you know, the idea of silencing people and, it, and you know what? The, it's ironic. I just thought about this. I had James. I hadn't thought about this. Isn't it interesting that what I do for a profession is not just talk, but I'm a catalyst for other people's voice. Right. So let's talk about what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I've done that experiment with hundreds and hundreds of people. And the early childhood memory that always comes up for people is the first time they felt powerless, the first time they felt rejected, the first time they felt like they weren't good enough, the first time they felt like they weren't heard or they were forced to do something they didn't want to do. And so the question is why, and it comes back to the question of what's our biggest fear. And this is where people really need to listen because our biggest fear is death right? But there is three forms of death that we fear. And I, I wrote this from the book. The first form of death that we fear is the, death, is the fear of uncertainty, the fear of potential death. We know this is in our DNA. And so when we existed in tribes, right, there was this idea that we wouldn't go from one valley to the other unless the fear of death was greater from staying than going. And so anytime that you had to take on the fear of potential death, it created the fear of uncertainty. The second form of death that we fear is we fear instant death. But fortunate enough for us as a species, there's been many, many people who have died who have mapped out what instant death looks like, so we don't do things that will kill us. But the third form of death, 
And the most scariest by far is ugly death. We fear ugly death. You hear people say it all the time. I don't mind dying. I just don't want to suffer. Yeah, so exactly. Suffering. But there is an equivalent in our DNA to ugly death. And that is rejection, powerlessness. And so essentially what we've discovered through our work is that by taking people through this process is the thing that triggers the fear of ugly death inside of us is this feeling of powerlessness. It's this feeling of rejection. And here's why, why it makes sense. When we existed in tribes, they didn't have a word for I. There was only we because there was no survival outside of the pack, right? And so when we got rejected from the pack, were expelled from the pack, it meant that we were going to die and it was going to be ugly because we were going to be eaten. And so what was the way, now this is, gets really interesting because we're going to talk to everybody's fears. Well, there's only two ways to live in that scenario. And the first way you live is to gain acceptance of the pack, right? Yeah. And so you want people to accept you. The second way to live is to take control of the pack. Now, I want you to look at the world around you and all the people and all the people who are miserable and sad and different things and all the people who are trying to act like each other and all the people who, in fact, are trying to control their situations. Every problem in the world comes down to this. The moment you were rejected or felt powerless as a child, that was the introduction of fear into your life. And it kicked off a primal program. And the primal program is this. The fight for my survival is now on. Whatever I am is not good enough, right? So I need to become something different. And this is when the ego comes up and spins up a persona and says, well, how about this? Is this good enough? Well, that's not good enough either. And so what it starts is the control validation cycle. So why is social media so popular? It's because it's a massive validation machine. Please validate me. Please validate me. Please validate me. Why? And if you can't gain validation, you try to gain control. And if you don't feel like you can gain either or the battle seems too exhausting, you check out through suicide or addiction. And so the nightmare that's running on our planet right now is everybody is either fighting for validation or fighting for control. And that's why we, nobody wants to be unique because they just want to be accepted. What do I need to do to be accepted? I need to be like you. So I'm going to act like I'm like you so that you accept me. But the problem is, is the validations are never enough is because we're not actually seeking validation for who we are. We're seeking validation for who we aren't. Because once our ego takes over and starts spinning up personas, we're trying to seek validation for a persona. The most unique version of us who's now buried under a thousand personas, right, is the only thing we know is that version's not good enough. So we're running full speed away from what we are trying to become what we're not. And so I have a saying, and the saying is, is that what if you're everything that you think that you're not, nothing that you think that you are? And we can prove that's the most likely scenario. Because the truth is, is from the moment that fear was introduced into your life, that fear has impacted every single situation. So when I ask people to bring up anger in their current life, it doesn't matter if they're cut off in traffic, their neighbor's dog poops in their yard, you know, politics, it doesn't matter. It always goes back to the same spot. And that's the first time that they were rejected or felt powerless or was beaten. And they felt like they weren't good enough. The point when their ego took over, this is the separation that every spiritual tradition talks about. Now, what's the lie? Right. And that's yeah. what we have to ask ourselves, because we have to walk back the lie to understand our true power and who we are. Well, there's a couple lies floating around. The first one is 
Dr. Pat, I can come over to your house and take away all your stuff and all of those things and I can kick you outside. Are you going to survive? Yes. So our survival is no longer at stake. So yeah. survival is in fact the lie. And so from the moment that you are rejected, you've been fighting for your survival, but survival is no longer on the table. So survival is a lie, which means fear, in fact, is a lie, mm -hmm. right? And that's where we really get into the fact that, you know, even though that we go to the grocery store for groceries, we're still 100% dependent on each other. You still have people who love and accept you. You're still a part of the we, right? And so it's like people have been homeless for 50 years. You don't actually have to do anything in order to survive, yeah. but you are fighting a false battle. And so the first thing you have to recognize is that this narrative that's running inside of you, that your survival is at stake is a lie, which makes fear a lie. And the other part that you need to understand is that you are in fact safe, right? Being rejected as a child or being beaten in a Catholic monastery, whatever it is, doesn't put your survival at risk. So we have to turn off that survival mechanism that's running inside of all of us. You know, I, I was talking to this company in Europe and they want to do the next live aid. And they're like, we're going to do all this great stuff and donate the, this money to the environment. I'm like, you're wasting your money. They're like, what do you mean? You don't like the environment? I'm like, I love the environment. Until we can teach people to come out of pain at scale and break this survival program that's running inside of them, people will never think long-term. They don't care. They don't no, care because true. it's like, Hey, you know, Dr. Pat, that's great that yeah. you have money and your survival is assured, but I'm fighting for myself over here. That's right. I don't have time to think about the environment or anything other than my fight. And so the question is, you know, what's the fear that you've adopted in that moment? You know, you're getting beat every night. And so that fear, it shows up in women all the time in their throat, in their heart, is that somebody tried to take away your voice. And so from that point forward, you've been fighting for your voice, right? Which has led you to what you're doing today. I need to have a voice, but you still feel powerless in this moment because you feel like your voice is being quashed by an administration that might be unfair. So the question is, does that belief serve you? Does that fear serve you? I, and so this is a good, this is a great question. I love it because I think about it and I'm very aware of this. So here, Here's the thing I love about what you've just done. And I hope people have listened to this and I've applied it. Does that fear serve me, even though I'm aware of it, right? And here's how it serves me. I'm so acutely aware of it that there are things that I do that I used to be afraid to do. Like this morning, I called the governor's office. I don't think I would have done that a bunch of years ago. I think the idea of calling Jay Inslee's office and saying, dude, I don't understand what you just did, right? And it's a very simple thing. I said, I commend you for what you're doing about the virus in this state, but it's common sense that's not working. And it was around something small. It was, they were gonna give, a, they're gonna give a, 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 they're gonna waive the penalty for small businesses that file their enormous tax in this state late, but only if you haven't been late in 18 months. And I called them and I said, just want to give you a sanity check. The people that have been late, 
those are the people that really need the break. Right. And, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I, I was like, I don't under, explain to me how you're going to reward people that are not struggling to keep their business afloat. And so the you could hear a pin drop on the on the phone. But you see, I think when I answer your question, how has that served me? I'm not silenced today. You know, so, I'm so aware today. Question. But the fear is, right? And so the, to this point, from the time you were beaten at monastery till right this second, the fear, right, of being silenced has been driving your behavior and has served as fuel. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Is there a more powerful fuel than fear? Yeah. What is it? Love. Love. Love so, is the most powerful so, fuel. Right. And right. so if you can start speaking, instead of speaking the voice of fear, if you can start speaking the voice of love, that would be more powerful. So in fact, it has served you to this point, but would it, does it serve you moving forward? And the answer is no. And so I got a question. Why don't we go into your throat? Let's 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 lift that. Well, let's. Uh, we've got two minutes left, but let me say something interesting, which you may not know about. The network that I own and the show that I that I do is called a Positive Talk Radio Network and a Positive Talk Radio Show. We don't talk hate. We don't talk anger. Oh, I no 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 no. I know that. No, I know that. I but it that. took me a long time to get there, <laughs> right? Right. But, but let's that do the clearing. Yeah. That needs that. We have the ability to move that out. Let's do it right now. But let me thank you for today, because okay. I know that Benny's going to hit that button. Thank okay, you so, so much. I hope you'll who, come back. So we're going to do how much time we got? So give me an exact time. We've got one minute. One minute. I know. You know what? We don't. We don't actually have time. I don't, Benny, two I don't minutes. Wanna... Benny, two, two minutes. Okay, let's do two minutes. Close your eyes. Bring up that feeling. I want you to find yourself just after you got beat in the monastery, the younger version of yourself. And this is what I would like you to do. You're alone. I'd like you to sit down in the bed next to your younger self. And I would like you to tell yourself that it's okay and that you're good enough and that you have a voice. And I want you to give yourself the love you needed in that moment not to be scared. Mm. Right and feel that, and then I want you to be grateful for that fear that younger version of you adopted, and every version of you at this point has put forward, and feel that fear, and then just release the fear by feeling the pain in your throat and just breathing love into it and just allowing it to release. You'll feel it release. Just kind of nod your head as it. You have to allow yourself to process the feeling fully. And so that's, you, you're moving love into a place where there was once fear. Do you know the thing that you love the most in the world right now? Yeah, I do. Can you put that thing in your heart really quick? We're going to do I'm, one more thing. Okay, so I want there. you to feel that in your heart. Close your eyes. Feel the thing that you love the most in the world right now. Now, I'd like you to go back to that younger version of yourself. And I'd like, to tell, I'd like you to tell her that you miss her. And that life has been no fun without her. And because of her strength, you have an incredible life right now and you have the ability to protect her and i want you to move her into the your heart right next to the thing you love most in the world right now and i want you to embrace every version of yourself between her and them and i want you to know that you are powerful mm. and that you have an amazing life and that all versions of you 
have an incredible opportunity to heal.